0: Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Ann Mank, Certified Financial Planner and CPA and Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 in Capitol Drive in Town Bank Building, and also in the village of Byfish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also serve clients in the Bonita Springs area in Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com more details. So I have a very special guest today. We actually met through one of the women groups that we're both a part of. Uh, Her name is Mary Beth Freckman. She is a real estate agent with Keller Williams, and I'll let her do definitely more formal introduction with her background. But we have her on the show today to talk about a couple of things. One is From a real estate perspective, we can't ignore the fact that COVID is out there and has definitely changed all of our lives, but with low interest rates, when individuals are going to get mortgage, more and more people are thinking about selling their home or buying a new home. And then also, we both have children that are very near and dear to our homes and hearts, and we often talk about the transition of how do we transition our child who has special needs or disabilities into that independent life. And so we're going to take that perspective as well of how do we do the independent living? How do we find them the right tools so that they can be independent? So with that, Mary Beth, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm very excited. Ah, Thank you, Anne. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. So, Let's just cut to the chase and talk about the nasty COVID that is out there. Um, you've been in the industry for a couple of years, so I know that you've seen quite a change in the last year when it comes to the real estate market. So what have you seen that has changed that's a little bit different that individuals should be aware of if they're going to buy or sell a home? Well, with
1: COVID, um, you know, it really depends like in every other area of our lives right now, whether they're comfortable or not um, being in groups or would prefer to be alone um, or with only their family members or people that they know that um, aren't going to be exposed as much to the virus. So with that, it's made it interesting. I don't see it as really being that much more difficult other than you really have to have thorough conversations with your clients about what their you know comfort level is and for sellers that means you know obvious um open houses and showings do they want strangers coming through their home touching Mm -hmm. things do they want people that they have no idea who they are or where they come from touching the doorknobs and the handles of the cabinets and the drawers and everything and you don't you don't know and then as a as a buyer You don't know what home you're going into and if someone has the virus or not. And at this point, I mean, obviously every every week we're being updated on what they think this virus is doing and how it's contracted. And so that has changed just since we started showing Mm -hmm. home since the beginning of of this. Most of the buyers that I work with, they are comfortable either way with wearing a mask or if I ask them to (laughs) wear a mask or gloves, They don't usually have a problem with that. Sellers, I have not had any sellers be that concerned with people coming in their homes. And if they are, they don't have a problem wiping everything down again. And they do it, especially if people have children in their homes, they're doing it anyway. Right. So, but when I list a home, I you know, have masks and gloves and booties there available for the people to come through. And then I request that they take them with them. Don't leave them for other people to Oh, use. good. Yeah. You know, and then some um, people are more comfortable with only the showing agent touching, you know, the doors, the doorknobs, mm-hmm. uh, drawers. So it really depends on the individual. And you just have to be very respectful of mm-hmm their comfort level is and ask a lot of questions and keep the communication open because you don't want to offend anyone or expect anything
0: of them so as an agent have you had any concern yourself especially when this was first going on either that you know business was not going to be there or you yourself you know you're exposing yourself to all these homes which i don't know if you know you even thought about that in the past like oh, I don't know if I want to go in this person's home or I want to show this. So how has it changed from you personally on your comfort level of, of being an agent?
1: Well, to begin with, my business came to a screeching halt for about three and a half weeks. Mm. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> and then suddenly, because people just didn't know what to expect, right? And they and we, were, we had the, the mandate um, to stay at home. So, mm-hmm. But then we are considered an essential business in the state of Wisconsin. So business kept going because people, frankly, they have to buy and sell um, pandemic or no pandemic. So the business started picking up. And again, like I said, people have to buy and sell. So slowly, depending on who the person was, they would either continue with their listing or, and, or, you know, continue looking at homes to buy. The interesting part of this is that there has been such an inventory problem, right? A lack mm-hmm. of inventory for several years. So I have buyers that I've been working with for a year and a half that still haven't found a home, that have missed out on four, five, six homes because inventory is so low and there's such, um, you know, such competition out there. And that has made it, that's made it more interesting. But at the same time, people I think are more willing to take a risk because they have to find a home. And like you said, the interest rates are so low. Mm -hmm. now's the time to do it. Right.
0: I even kind of watched the Oak Creek inventory just because that's the area of town that I'm in and something will pop up and within hours it's contingent already. Like I just cannot believe the low inventory that's out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's really made it, made it very interesting. I, I'm for the most part comfortable showings going to showings because I do wear a mask and especially as a showing agent I look and see what the listing agent is requesting you know I make sure that I look at their notes and see you know does the seller want us to wear gloves and masks does the seller you know really prefer only the agent touching the doorknobs and the cabinet doors and closet doors Um, and I will respect that and follow that Um, and the same thing with a listing I make sure that the agents that are going to show the house understand what's expected from the seller. And um, there's a code between realtors, you know, and we hope that we're all following it, right? Right. each other and business is a little bit smoother, right?
0: <laughs> Have you been noticing that individuals are using more online tools so that when they're coming to do a viewing, they've almost... Like the viewing is just that last word, you know, kick the tires kind of thing because they've looked at all the pictures or there's more video online. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of agents are doing a lot more videos. And
1: in fact, some agents are requiring that the buyers watch the video before they even come to the home, you know, because it makes sense. It's mm-hmm. This is not a time to just go out on a Sunday afternoon and drive down and see who's having an open house. Right. That's that's not the way it, it, it is. And, and, you know, even for that seller to expect a pre-approval letter before the buyer even enters the home, that is something that is very real. And I think it's a very good idea. It's just to protect everyone. You don't want just anybody, especially if they're not very interested or not ready for another couple of mm-hmm. years, why should they be allowed to come in your home? And possibly Mm. spread something if, you know, it's not necessary.
0: Have you seen anything that's changed for the better or this has forced um, something a little bit different? I know, like, in my industry, we've been doing a lot more Zoom meetings with our clients, which... I like because I can pull things up on real time, I have all the data that I need right there, it's easier to schedule, and then individuals, especially if you're working, it's a lot easier to jump on a Zoom and jump off than to come all the way into the office, so I've seen some you know, really good advancements in our industry because of this, have you seen anything like that where you're like, oh, I'm so glad that we do this now? Yeah, I think it's a time saver for
1: sure. Um, I have no problem. I live in Oconomowoc, but I have no problem going to Brookfield to meet with someone at a coffee shop or in their home. However, mm-hmm. for safety reason and and time, yes, to hop on a Zoom and twenty minutes you you know are done with the meeting and you don't have the extra hour long you know commute back and forth. That's that's huge. And like you said, you can have your computer right there in front of you so you can access the information that you need. Yeah. It's a whole different world. I'm still, I'm, I still love meeting with people face to face. I know.
0: (laughs) I miss that too. (laughs) Yeah. I,
1: for me to do my best work, because I'm such a people person being in the room, feeling their energy. Mm -hmm. And I read so much more from a person when I'm in person with them. I mean, zoom, you could, you get a lot from, right. But it's still not the same as being in person, but it's the next best thing. Right. It's it's where we're at.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, uh, So
1: although zoom fatigue is a real thing.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, my kids are feeling it at school right now, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> oh, I can I can imagine. I can imagine. Um yeah, so yeah, I think it's a I think it's a really, really good thing. And hey, we don't we don't have a choice. This is where we're at right mm-hmm. now. And it may not change for a while. So adapt or Go find something else to do. (laughs) Right,
0: exactly. (laughs) Well, thanks for that update on the real estate. And so what I want to do next is take a really short break and then come back and get to know you a little bit better and your unique story with your daughter, Maddie. Um, And then hopefully we can start talking about some tools that we can use to help independent living for those who might need just a little bit more help and resources down the road. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host, Ann Mank, CFP and CPA and Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have Mary Beth Freckman with me. She is a realtor with Keller Williams. And we just spent a little bit of time talking about the real estate market and COVID, but Part of why she is such an awesome woman and realtor and just community member is because of the things that she's been able to do with her and her daughter. And so, with that, Mary Beth, why don't you explain a little bit about you and your family and what makes your family so unique and special? Well, thank you for having me back, Anne. I appreciate
1: it. Um, Well, I don't know that we're that unique and special. I think we're pretty, you know, we're pretty much like a lot of families. Maddie was born in 1993, full term, and I did not know that she had Down syndrome until she was born. Um, I knew instantly when I saw her because I had a special place in my heart for children with Down syndrome from the time I was in high school. I wanted to adopt a baby with Down syndrome. Um, I did some volunteer work and I fell in love with a little boy named Christopher when he he was four years old and I was 17. And after that, I was determined to, at one point when I was financially secure, going to adopt a child with Down syndrome. And then, of course, God had another plan for me. Right. (laughs) Um, And so in 1996, shortly before Maddie turned three, I went through a divorce. And I also had two sons that are five and seven, five and seven at the time. And um, that was, you know, it was already challenging having... A child with a disability, um, but then going through a divorce and some, suddenly being a single mom with two little boys and a little one with Down syndrome, um, that was pretty earth-shaking for a while. But, you know, with anything in life, you just got to pick up and carry on and do what you can do to make the best of it. At that point, I was connected in, um, in my community with different groups. And she started a birth to three program um, where she had therapy. And I met with a lot of other moms and families who had kids with disabilities. So that was really an amazing way to get started. And just having that common connection with other parents of kids with disabilities was very, very important for me. But fast forward... Maddie is now 27 years old and she just got married on September to Andrew who is 37 and also has down syndrome. And the two of them met 11 years ago, it was just 11 years ago through the YMCA at Papp's Farms and Special Olympics. And they just connected immediately. Like a lot of their friends, they just have a bond. Um, and they had the support of the community and the Y um, through special programming and Special Olympics to really just wrap around them and support them in, you know, their social outlets and sports through Special Olympics. And they formed a bond, but, you know, Maddie was 16 at the time and Andrew was 10 years older. So when he started flirting with her, I'm like, mm-mm,
0: all right, <laughs> any good mother would do
1: yeah (laughs) and he would tell me i really like maddie and i i would say but andrew you're you know you have to wait till, till she's 21 i wasn't even gonna go with the 18 i'm like 21 but their their friendship grew and you know i think those kinds of relationships are so wonderful right you start as as a friend and then that relationship grows and they started dating a little over five years ago and it was limited because how do you date if you don't have access to a car?
0: True. You right.
1: depend on, you know, your parents or someone else to give you a ride. So dating was very uh, loose. You know, that that <laughs> term was is very loose um, for what they were really doing. They were, you know, seeing each other at the the why. Um, but it was really difficult other than uh, unless his mom or I were involved in planning mm. Got it. Then their relationship really blossomed and I got to know his family much better and they got to know me and we really you know as two families trying to figure out how this can work long term both Andrew's mom and I agree 100% that it, it we have to find out what do Andrew and Maddie want and then figure out with them how can we support them to re- meet, meet that goal so every day is different and it's one step at a time and it's a constant checking in and communicating with them. And then, you know, we would, we just continue to help them grow that relationship. And then about three and a half years ago, they went to several weddings of Andrew's nieces and nephews together. And I, and, and, and then Andrew started talking more and more about how he'd really like to get married. And Maddie started talking about wanting to get married. And then Maddie's brother got married. So then it really, really, they started talking about it more and more. And so I talked to his mom about it and thought, you know what, why not? There are other people with disabilities. And because I have a background working as a case manager for a long-term care program in the state with adults with disabilities and the frail elder population, I know, I personally know other adults who have disabilities and are married and have successful marriages, but it's like, how do you get from here to there? So time.
0: <laughs> time. Well, I was going to say, you gave them plenty yeah. of time to kind of we talk did. about this, plan this. Yes. yes. And even the planning took a while, didn't it?
1: The planning took a long time only because we were, we were really learning, you know, the, the, um, his mom's name is B. So B and I were really learning about how we could make this work or help them get, you know, to reach their goal. And and so it it evolved slowly but very methodically and intentionally. And mm. part of that was th- their church. Um, their pastor got involved and said, "Hey, I talked to other pastors around the country who have helped young adults mm. with disabilities get married." And I and they're willing to help us reach this goal, so that was a, a very integral part of their success. And um, I didn't try to plan this all on my own because I knew I wouldn't be, be able to do it. You know, there were a lot of family members that helped, and um, church members, and people that just love Maddie and Andrew. And I have to say, there's a couple of ladies at the YMCA at Paps Farms that have known Andrew and Maddie for years and years. And they, you know, they were willing to help in any way they could. We met for lunch a couple times and they offered, you know, hey, we'll help with invitations, we'll help with decorating, we'll help with whatever you need. Um, and we were even planning a reception for them, for just their friends at the Y, but then COVID hit. So that mm-hmm, that right. hasn't taken place yet, but we're going to do that eventually because, you know, we couldn't invite everybody that they knew to the wedding because they know <laughs> about everybody. everybody knows them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh yeah, it, it, it took, it took a lot of planning and we had a lot of other parents that questioned and I don't really know what their motive was for questioning. And then that, that's really none of my business. I don't really care. Uh, but a lot of their concerns were financially, were they going to be able to make it financially because there are rumors about, Oh, if these two people, with disabilities who are supported by the state, you know, an SSI Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and on Medicaid, if they get married, their benefits are going to get cut. Mm. Well, there is some truth to that, but it's not completely true. And it's not something that for me, marriage was more important than these things. You know, I think, okay, what's the most important first, and that was for them to be married, this other stuff we can figure out. And what we did is we had a benefits analysis. There are agencies, and that's that's something you would typically start with at the Aging and Disability Resource Center in your county, the ADRC, and they can give you agencies in your community that do benefits counseling. Um, And that benefits counselor broke down Maddie's and Andrew's income and said okay this is what's going to be cut down this is what the advantage is and in the end it was so much better because we found out that they both can make a lot more money without their benefits being touched so at the end of that Andrew's mom and I looked at each other and said well they both have to work more (laughs) and their benefits are not going to be affected are they affected yes SSI payments for every dollar a person makes um or every $2 a person makes a dollar is, is subtracted from their SSI payments. So you're always better off working. You're always going to be ahead and come on. The benefits are somewhere around $800 a month, up to a thousand dollars a month in general. That's just being general. Nobody can live on that anyway. So, right. You know, if a person can work and most people can work, you know, even with the limitations, even with, you know, everybody has an ability that they can offer and contribute to their community. And they just have to be creative and have the right connections to figure that out.
0: Right. And it also by having a job gives you the sense of independence and the sense of being a valuable part of the community. So even if it's not financial side that you're benefiting from, it's more likely your mental and your, I mean, we're noticing this now in COVID. It's like, if we're not out doing something, you know, how many mental um, illness cases have come about because we're all stuck in a home and we're not interacting. And so getting out and having that independence and having that responsibility for something other than yourself, I mean, it just, From just a personal perspective makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that this also brings about is as you're making money, and you're getting benefits from government outlets, there's actually a really super cool tool that I want to talk about coming up on the next break, because it allows those individuals who can make money to keep it and have that sense of independence, but still have the support they need from benefits from the government as well without losing those. You know, you and I talked about this before we got on air was not a lot of people know about this. And even if they know about it, they don't know how tremendous an asset this can be for them. So Mm -hmm. um, we'll take a really quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk all about that. (music) Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host, Ann Mank. I'm a wealth advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have Mary Beth Breckman. She is a realtor with Keller Williams. Uh, we are talking about the real estate market, but we've transitioned over to how do you give someone who might need some additional support, either through a disability or they have special needs, How do you give them that sense of independence? And part of what we talked about was Mary Beth's backstory with her daughter, Maddie, and how they've been able to find their path in a unique way and in their own way with the support of their family. And what I'd like to talk about now is something that's called an ABLE account. It is a tool and a resource that those with special needs can use to help from a financial independence perspective. And so, Mary Beth, and you're, as you're trying to transition her to independence, how did you use this ABLE account, and how did you start using it or thinking of it as a tool for you and Maddie?
1: Well, we actually are still in the process of getting our ABLE account set up. So, Anne, you oh, might help me with that. Yes, we've done our, <laughs> done our homework, um, but but they, part of it was uh, getting their... Marriage certificate, getting Maddie's social security card, her name changed legally. Uh, you know, there's steps, there's processes mm-hmm. to all of it. And, um, but we did our research. So Andrew's mom and I did a lot of research on how this works. And um, there is not an ABLE um, account available in the state of Wisconsin, but you can go through other states and set them up. So. The reason for an ABLE account and what we found a challenge right now is that Maddie and Andrew, they have separate separate bank accounts in their names, but they cannot exceed $2,000 or their Medicaid and Social Security income payments will be cut.
0: And that $2,000 is such a low level, Like especially with just money coming in and out of the bank account, it's so easy to go over that $2,000. It is, it is. And for
1: Andrew, Andrew is a little has a little different situation because his father passed so he gets some income from that. And then he has two jobs and he has direct deposit so he really has to be careful. Now, on top of it, they were getting monetary gifts for Mm. their wedding. And oh, yes, engagement parties and the bridal shower. So we had to be very careful that he didn't just deposit checks in his account. Or Maddie, you know, I watched her account to make sure that she didn't go over that $2,000 mark. So what I did is I set up a separate savings account in my name at another bank just to keep it separate.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, so it, it cannot be taken from the state or have them uh, affected, have their benefits affected. Um
0: because it's so, really just a timing issue at that point. It's like you it have is. a wedding to pay for. Yeah. So you have these funds coming in. So it's like, it yeah, I get it.
1: Definitely timing. So our next step is to set up the ABLE account. You know, we got the marriage license, we got her social security card updated, we got her <laughs> I state ID updated. And she's so happy to have Perhaps I was gonna say, night. yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's the next step. So we've done a lot of research and you know, I've known about this for quite a while because of my last job as an as a case manager. I was at a self-determination conference that I've gone to every year in Wisconsin since 2012. And back then they started talking about it at the self-determination conference, and then it actually came into be in 2014. So this is relatively new and um so a lot of people I think are afraid of what that means. They don't know enough about it and but they're familiar with what a special trust is, right? I remember yeah. when Maddie was little being told to make sure I educate my family members on not putting any money in Maddie's name. You know, Grandma's and Grandpa's want to set up a special fund, right? A special mm-hmm. savings account. But that that could be taken away if that was set up, but it had to be put into a special trust for her so it couldn't be touched. So that's something that people are more familiar with. But um, but the ABLE account, yeah, the ABLE account is amazing because they can have up to $100,000.
0: Without affecting anything.
1: Without affecting their benefits at all. There are some rules to follow, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, It can only be used for specific living things. um, And you can only contribute up to, I think it's $15,000 per year. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: they they really shouldn't have their income directly deposited because then there are some issues with that. But I can contribute every year. And but it has to be set up. I just can't give them cash. I have right. it has to be be set up specifically. And so we're working through all that. I'm learning learning a lot about it. And uh, I just yeah, I think it's an amazing tool. And I think that looking at Maddie and Andrew's future, this is so important to have because Andrew's mom is older, and and I'm not going to be around forever. So. You know, her brothers will help to oversee and then Andrew has has siblings, too, that can help oversee them and help support them. But financially, they can really be in a place that they don't have to rely on other people for money.
0: Well, and Uh, that's the hard part is, you know, they're independent enough to live on their own to be able to have a job. But then there was that this disconnect before ABLE accounts where, okay, I can make a job, but now I got to give it to somebody. I have no access to it. I can't control it. I have to live under certain norms. And so now this gives them that freedom to really do the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. I can live where I want. I can make money. You know, I can go out and get a job. I can then control the job, like pay my own bills. Like I, you know, from an independent perspective, for someone with a disability to be able to make money and pay their own bill, even though we think that's such a little thing mm-hmm. for them, that is so monumental because yes. it makes them, and I don't know how to explain it. I don't want to say it makes them feel normal, but it makes them feel like they're a part of the community. Yeah, Like they are, they're, you know, they've earned their value and they, they can, they can do this is kind of yeah. what I'm yeah. thinking of. And yeah. So the, these ABLE accounts are great because it, it's very similar and it's part of the same tax structure as 529 plans. We're all familiar with 529 plans to pay for college. Mm-hmm. This is very similar because what it allows parents and what it allows these adults and kids to do is put money towards their future in a way that's tax effective, protects their benefits and gives them that sense of independence because it's their money to use. Like, I know there's some programs that are an ATM, like they can get an ATM card. They can go and get cash if they want to, which (laughs) up to, you know, just a few years ago is unheard of. So that's why I love this. And I love that you're doing the research and, you know, this is something that you're going to use as a tool for them going forward. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. It just, it's exciting to think that they'll be set up to where once I am not able to help them, there will be somebody that can just come in, step in, and oversee it for them. It's huge. I mean, it was like when Andrew Andrew got his driver's license and got a car two years ago. Before that, not having transportation mm. at your fingertip, like most of us have, was life-changing for them. And he pretty much only drives in in our community. Um, he, he doesn't have a restricted license. He can drive anywhere. He drives back and forth to church every week, which is Mm -hmm. in Hills Corners. Uh, So he, he's very, very responsible and drives probably following the laws more than, (laughs) but this has opened up their world. So it's like one more layer. I mean, and that's not possible for, for many people with disabilities, but I tell you, living in our community, we don't have public transport. We have a small volunteer taxi service that, does help people with disabilities and then elderly people but it's limited it's from 7 30 in the morning till 4 30 in the afternoon monday through friday so what are they Mm. supposed to do in the evening and on the weekends they just stay home to really help someone be independent as as independent as they can be this able account is just one more thing that it's life-changing it really is and i just I can't believe that it's taken this long for our country to recognize that
0: It's definitely part of the planning with my daughter. So she's on the autism spectrum. And, you know, that is, we're paying attention to beneficiaries. We've talked about our, to our family about making sure money is distributed properly. We have our trust in place. So if anything happens to us, it'll go into a trust in her name. But this really fits that last piece of the here and now of she's 19 with a job. What do we do? Mm-hmm. or I want to save for school for the other two, make sure they're set up for college, but I don't know what to do for Abby because I don't know if she's going to go to college. This gives me that resource to be able to put money away for her in a way that protects her benefits, but still gives her the option for college if she needs it, or trade school, or coding school, or you know whatever she decides that she wants to do. So it's great. And if anybody wants more information, they can always call our office, Or go to ellenbecker.com, send me a quick email. But these are all resources that are out there. And as you're planning for independence with your child, it's a great tool. And we're almost out of time, so I'm going to take one more quick break. But then I want to come back, get some final thoughts from you on how did you get this independence for your daughter? Because I'm sure you heard a lot of no's. A lot of she can't do that. Uh-huh. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on that when we come right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I am your host, Ann Mank, Wealth Advisor with Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we have Mary Beth Freckman. She is a realtor with Keller Williams and a mom of a really awesome daughter maddie and two other sons as well who are totally awesome but who uh, we're talking about maddie and the special needs community and how do we get the sense of independence and when we stopped the last segment it was talking about how do we make them as independent as possible but i'm sure that you heard a lot of oh she can't do that or don't push her too much or what do you think you're you're doing Mm -hmm. How did you overcome that? What was your thought as you were trying to help your daughter, but at the same time, you kept hearing all of that in the background?
1: You know, I have to go back to when she was very, very little
0: and Maddie
1: didn't walk till she was 17 months and she, um, which actually some, some kids don't walk even that early, but, and then she wasn't, she wasn't potty trained and couldn't talk till she was five. Mm -hmm. So that sets up a lot of people around her to think, Oh, she doesn't, you know, she can't do this. She won't do this. You know, she, is she ever going to talk? Um, and then right away you get in that, or or you you can get in that mindset of like, she can't, but very early on. And like I said earlier, I was a single mom very early on. My two sons really taught me a lot about <laughs> Maddie's abilities. And there was one particular time that is so vivid in my mind. It feels like it just happened, you know, last week. We were getting ready to go someplace, the three of us, and I don't even remember where. But I was literally always in a hurry and usually late, except it was for work or an appointment. And so trying to get three little kids out of the house was just chaotic. And Maddie at that time was probably about five years old. So the boys were then seven and nine. And it was winter. I'm helping Maddie get her boots on. And I'm like, come on, you guys, get your boots and coats on helping her with her boots, helping her with the jacket. And my middle son, my middle child, Simon stopped me. And he said, mom, stop it. And I said, what? And he says, let her do it herself. She can do it herself. And I said, but we have to go. And he says, mom, stop helping her. She can do it herself. And that right then and there, I stopped in my tracks and I realized, oh my gosh, she can do it herself. It is my problem because I didn't give her the time to do it. Mm. So that has been, you know, that I think really put us on a different trajectory in terms of what I saw Maddie being capable of after that, because she really and truly could learn how to do just about anything. It just took longer and to actually do it took a little bit longer. And so it was my responsibility to help plan that. Right. So, Fast forward, there were a lot of things she wanted to do. Okay, Maddie wanted to sing in the worst way. So we took voice lessons because, boy, oh, boy, you did not want to hear her sing. <laughs> but she can really sing. And, you know, there have been so many things like that that she wants to do. She loves Special Olympics. She loves and, – and I know there's a lot of young adults with disabilities and kids in high school with disabilities that are on regular sports teams – uh, and i think that's great that's not something we ever pursued when maddie was in high school she loved special olympics and she she made friendships in those places so that's where that's where she did her sports but fast forward now having andrew in our lives andrew learned how to drive and have a car now i can tell you most people that don't have a person with a disability in their world would say oh people with dis- with down syndrome can't drive like mm. because they probably never met anybody or heard of it Andrew learned how to drive and he has his own car. It took three and a half years and it took his parents, I mean, his mom and his brothers and and sisters, you know, commitment to helping him learn, but he wanted to do it. And then they figured out how to support him to get him there. And I think that's it. Like what they want to do, they want him to get married. Okay. Let's just figure out how to get you there. And it took a while but we got them there. So I think in a nutshell, they can do pretty much anything if they have the time and the
0: supports. I love that. And it just shows too that, you know, I, I had to step back with my daughter too, of just saying, you know, what does she really need? And let's go after that. I had to stop all the noise saying what everybody should tell me you know, oh, she should do this. You need to do this. And it's like, no, she needs to be her and she needs to have her voice heard and she needs to do it her way. And there is nothing wrong with that. And so you've been such an inspiration of, yeah, they can do that and they can be independent. And it's something to look forward to, to say, yes, if they can do it, I can do it too.
1: So, yeah. And and you know what? There's always going to be someone that's telling you that they can't do it or that they shouldn't do it. And then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be people listening to this that are saying, oh, well, yeah, fine, your child can, but not my child. That is exactly what it is. And, you know, that's their, that's their world, but it's not yeah. my world.
0: You know? Right. And it doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. People are going to say yeah. that, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so might as well just live the best life that they can live, doing what they enjoy and really listening to them because they will tell you what they can and can't do. And being that support yeah. and listening and then see where they go yeah. from there. It's listening and respecting, right? Respecting yep. what they want. Yep, exactly. Oh, I've really enjoyed this time. Thank you so much for being on the radio show and, and sharing your story and your wisdom and your expertise. You're um, welcome. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. And if anybody wants some more information, feel free to reach out to us and I'll definitely get you in contact with, with Mary Beth. So with that, I just want to let you know that Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. And if you like today's show and want to know more, please visit ellenbecker.com or call us at 262 691 3200 And as always, I hope that I have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. So thank you, Mary Beth, and have a very pleasant rest of the day.